Welcome to the Tinnily Talks podcast, where we dive into the common legal issues facing today's community associations. Whether you're a manager, board member, or homeowner, you're sure to pick up on some nuggets of advice to help you build a successful community in this ever-evolving and changing world. Hello and welcome to Tinley Talks. I'm Ramona Acosta. And I'm Steve Tinley. And today we'll be discussing how to choose the right management company for your association with Colette Marcel of First Service Residential. Colette brings over a decade of experience in the property management industry in which she excels in cultivating lasting associate, client, and vendor relationships. As a community manager, Colette's strengths include a vast knowledge of building maintenance and contract negotiations. She specializes in project management and streamlining operations. She's taken her property management skills and shifted into a new role, focusing on the training and development of new community managers, as well as continuing education of experienced managers. Colette's knowledge of community management training and development has given her the ability to seek out prime talent and opportunities across the industry. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, excited you're here. Thank you. So today we kind of want to talk about community associations and management companies and finding the right fits, right? Because I think sometimes associations think that they need all the bells and whistles and maybe they don't. Maybe they only need financial services. Um, you know, maybe they don't need a large management company. Maybe, the, you know, a small one is better or vice versa. So Steve, I kind of wanted to talk to you about this first or start with you because one of the things that we do as a firm is help associations find new management. And sometimes it's not necessarily an issue of the management company is not doing this or is not doing that. It's more of a fit type of situation, correct? Yeah, it's a fit with the particular account manager that might be working with that community um, and what the account manager's situation is. And a lot of times, you know, we find with these, these board members is that, and I'm sure you could understand <laughs> this, Colette, their expectation as to what should be included and what management is there to do uh, sometimes isn't a realistic expectation, especially those that have never served on a HOA board uh, before. So when we have a client come to us and they say, hey, we're having an issue with our management company, we want to find a new one, one of the things that we first do is say, okay, wait a second, is it the management company or is it the particular manager or what, what are the kind of the nature of the, uh, the concerns that you have and are the expectations or are your concerns realistic? Like what, what's the real issue? So when you have a client that you know approaches you that says, hey, Colette, we're working with this account manager, we appreciate what your company does, but we're having an issue with this account manager, where do you look at to kind of understand what the client's you know, desires are and what might be the best way to salvage the relationship? Well, I always joke that board members, they want Rolls-Royce service with a little Pinto budget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they want, you know the used car but they want this ritzy glamorous you know service and so most of the time it's mostly educating the boards on what's included in their contracts and what the service expectation is so sometimes you know it is the manager that they're not fulfilling you know the duties that they're supposed to do but most of the time it's how we are going to partnership with the board of directors because that's what it comes down to right they pay us for a service and we just need to meet those expectations. So if you have unrealistic expectations, we need to mediate and find a center ground. What do you find is like a common issue that boards are surprised, especially new board members, when they say, oh, you know, management company doesn't do this, or why don't they do this? Is there any one particular issue that pops out to you? Yeah, they don't understand what a portfolio manager is. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's like Education 101, um, portfolio manager, they have numerous accounts that they manage, and they're not just dedicated to you. 
So um, we have to explain that to them and then also um, empower the managers to, you know, tell that to the board member delicately while still providing excellent service. So, you know, it's give or take. You can't tell them like, oh, hey, you don't pay us for that because, you know. No, no you, you, wanna, like, you want them to feel like they're your only client, mm-hmm. but while balancing that with the knowledge that they're not your only client, right? And so, you know, I used to tell me to the managers that I worked with, you know, you have to bill them for that. So many of the managers that I worked with, they didn't want to bill overtime if the meeting, if they had a two-hour meeting in their contract and they were consistently having three-hour meetings. And I'm like, well, well, you have to bill them for that. When you get to that hour and a half mark, you have to say, okay, guys, we're coming up on the, you know, we have an, a half an hour left. We're going to have to start billing. You have to train them it, it, to understand that there are you have responsibilities and I think once once you start billing them and once you start reminding them that hey we only have two walks a month you know I'm happy to come out a third time but I'm going to have to bill you for that I'm happy to do this extra service for you but in accordance with the contract I'm going to have to bill you for that right there's a there's a diplomatic and a professional way to say that but to kind of train them to to remember that you're not at their beck and call you're not an on-site manager you're not a general manager you're you're portfolio and you have other responsibilities and other things that you have to deal with during the day. I always encourage managers to not make it transactional because when it's transactional, that's when they see you as just their robot. I tell you to do this. You need to do it right now because I said it. But if you create that relationship, have open lines of communication, it's a lot easier to have that conversation with happy to take on that extra work, but we're going to have to bill you for it. And then that's when, you know, possibly your contract could be renegotiated so you can have a dedicated manager or possibly a general manager, you know, to find the needs of what the association truly needs. Mm -hmm. I think that's important because, as you said, sometimes they want that Disneyland service. They want that Rolls Royce service. And as a management company, you know, we're happy to give them as much service as they want. But they also have to be willing to pay for that as well. And it might not be in their budget. You know, their assessments might not be able to support that. And that's okay, but then we have to lower expectations, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or just set them set them appropriately, right? So that a dedicated manager, help us understand, okay, if a community says, listen, you know, the way that we work and I think we're going to be best, we need a dedicated manager. What's that type of account typically produce in management fees? I mean, that's, you know. Well, I mean, if you're thinking about if you're thinking about manager salary, right? I mean, if you're talking about a dedicated manager, right? In a, in a portfolio situation, typically it's a 3 to 1 ratio or or something similar to that, right? Of associations to manager salary. So because those associations have to support a manager salary. If you have a dedicated manager, to an association, that one association has to support that salary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus all the support staff, right? Because yeah. it's AR and escrow and customer service and the assistance. It's not just the dedicated manager. So it's a three X multiple. Okay. Right. I get that. So um, help us understand, right? So full service management contract. Mm-hmm. I'm a board member of a plan development. We're going to be working with one of your portfolio managers and you're going to give us a full service management contract top level what what does that mean for us what's what's the aspect of what you handle for us under a full service agreement well it depends what they pay for so you said portfolio mm-hmm. so boards have the option of being kind of picky right especially if you're a new client 
you can be very specific on your wants. So you could have requirements for your manager. So you'd want someone that's been in the industry for a certain amount of years, um, someone with um, experience doing phasing. You know, there's so many different criterias for managers. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, when you're portfolio, you can't be picky because portfolio is kind of the revolving door until you get that right fit. And uh, one of my board members always joked, like when I came on the account, he was like, oh, you're good. We're not going to have you for that long. You're going to get promoted. And when I got promoted, that was like the running joke. And he's like, we knew you wouldn't last long because we only pay a certain amount of money. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the good ones always go fast. The bad ones get fired. So it's really hard to say when your portfolio what you're going to get from the manager because it's not really guaranteed in the management company. I don't I don't think they can guarantee like, oh, yeah, you're going to get this person for two years because, you know, they can come and go. It's really hard. So what you're saying is you've got these schedule services that are going to be backed by the company, right? You're going to provide these resources, but your actual day to day customer service experience with your designated account manager, Mm -hmm. that could vary depending upon the account manager that you have. And what I think you said was, was insightful. You kind of made a joke of it, but you said, you know, um, portfolio manager is kind of like a revolving door. I think that's one thing that, I don't know, maybe we communicated enough to our clients, but, uh, you know, if you're operating with this budget and you have a portfolio manager, it's actually an expectation that your, your account manager is going to change potentially a number of times and mm-hmm. that's not something that you should be surprised when it ultimately happens because you're you're paying for a service that puts you in that pool where there's going to be people that are turning over depending upon performance you know rock stars like you are going to get promoted uh, up through the company you might have a you know a different you know more junior account manager and hopefully he or she will be able to do the job and you know and fill big shoes that were that were left behind right but that's an important thing i think we need to kind of emphasize to our clients if you're at this level it's unrealistic to expect that you're going to have a senior account manager on your account in perpetuity, right? Because you're just not you're not paying for that level of uh, of experience, right? Yeah, I think the more successful management companies, I think they've learned the team approach because you're right. Portfolio management is a revolving door, and and it's really um, the first level when you when you enter this industry. You know, you typically start out as a portfolio manager, and then you work your way up and end up on an onsite, or you end up, you know, supervising others, and you grow within your organization. But you typically ground level is is portfolio management, right? So, I think the more successful management companies have relied on the team approach to say, okay, well, yes, we have our frontline manager, but that manager has a director of community management and that director has a regional manager and that regional manager has another executive above them and we meet on a regular basis and you know we have two or three eyes that are looking at this association at any given time you touched on a good point too you shouldn't just only rely on your community manager right so i think the most successful associations have an actual team of people Mm -hmm. so having that open line of communication with your manager supervisor and not just telling them the bad things but just like keeping them in the loop of things that are going on um, having that support team so if your manager does leave there's so many people to fill in those gaps and you're not going to see that um, stop in your service. Yeah, and one of the things that we joke about as a law firm is, you know, when, when we go out and we do an interview, everyone thinks that they're getting Steve because Steve is the one who goes on the interview. And I see the same thing with association management. More and more associations are asking to interview the manager. They want to know who it is that they're actually going to work with. And that's great for the first 
year, mm-hmm. but at some point that person is going to move on. And so you can't just interview that frontline manager. You've got to find out who's their direct report, who's their supervisor, and who's that person's supervisor. Because those are typically where the constants are. When you start getting to that director and regional manager level, that's where you start seeing some constants within the management company. Because at that point, those people have established a relationship with their employer, with their management company. They have found their home. And they're typically not going anywhere. They're they're probably going to stay there until they retire or until they find... They retire. Yeah, they, they retire. <laughs> As I say, until they find a really good opportunity. But most of the time, they just stay and retire. All right, so let's break this down a little bit because I want to revisit the idea of full-service management, right? And I can kind of understand there's, there's three buckets, right? You've got, like, the property management slash maintenance side of it, um, administrative back-end, those types of services, as well as, you know, financial-related services and financial management. Can you give us kind of a top-level view of that full service? What do you do from the standpoint of property maintenance management, administrative, and financial management? Kind of give us the big picture of what, you know, the management contract is going to provide. You're mostly the conductor, right? I mean, yeah. you're, you're the one who's doing the plug-and-play with the appropriate vendor with the appropriate yes. needs, right? Many associations and many boards, they have this expectation that, well, the manager should have caught that. The manager should be overseeing that, whether it's a construction job or whether it's the financial statements. And I think one of the things, you know, when we start out with a, a new association with a new board is what is the manager's role? role? Right. I mean, I think it's easy to say, okay, we're going to do so many walkthroughs and we're going to do so many board meetings and we're going to take your minutes and we're going to go get proposals and things like that. But I think the expectation is, well, I had a contractor on site and before you paid the bill call it, you were supposed to go out and walk the property and you were supposed to inspect their work and recognize that it wasn't correct before you paid the invoice. Yeah, I'm not the expert. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a big struggle. So for property maintenance, you know, the expectation is that, you know, you're fulfilling your contract by doing those site visits and doing the day-to-day business of the association. Um, Like Ramona said, you're the conductor. So I think boards fail to realize this too, is managers don't have the power. You know, they work on behalf of the board of directors and it's a partnership. So I say this a lot, but clear communication of expectations and what is your responsibility, I think is crucial. Um, Because a lot of the times the board of directors, they don't have a clear understanding of um, what they truly want, right? Because, you know, there's concrete that's lifted. It's a hazard. The manager goes, oh man, I just got to get this done. Someone might trip and fall. Then at the board meeting, the board's like, oh, this was $1,500 for that. I could have got like Joe Schmo down the street to get it. Yeah. And it's like finding those expectations and what you're able to do, I would guess. And then the admin side, again, the partnership with the board to make sure that the minutes are recorded, that your insurance is taken care of, all of those like civil code requirements. Again, the manager is not solely responsible for that. So they're that conductor and they're delegating those tasks to maybe third party or internal teams, um, depending on how large your management company is. And same for financial services, you know, that's a separate team. They review the documents before they present it to the board, but there's so many things that are not in their realm. Like they are not debt collectors. So, you know, they know the general, we have to get a lien. They know what it's about, but do they know like all the tight details? Not necessarily, but that's when you bring in like the experts to go, you know, 
talk to the board on the behalf. Yeah. yeah I think no. that I think many boards have this assumption that managers are experts in everything. And they're not. They have a little bit of knowledge, just enough knowledge to make them dangerous in every little mm-hmm. thing. And that's why they have experts. And, and so it's getting the board to realize that, you know, you might have to pay a little bit extra for your attorney. Or you might have to have your insurance agent come to a meeting. Or, you know, you might have to have your, your collection company come to a meeting. Because I know a little bit of information, but I'm not able to answer all of the questions that you have and it's not because I'm deficient as a manager it's because my expertise is in management Mm -hmm. it's not in debt collection yeah I think it's important communicating that with the clients too I see not enough managers they I don't know they feel embarrassed by saying well I don't have the answers that or I don't know or let me get back to you when really they can say actually that you know is yeah I'm here to compile the information and kind of lead you to it but no there's an expert either internally within our company or a third party that works with your association and they're the ones that are supposed to be kind of quarterbacking this information or this type of guidance for you. And I just, for the life of me, I don't understand. Maybe just more junior managers are afraid to tell they are clients something that they're, they're so scared to say no. Yeah. And it's okay to say no, but, you know, have that solution. So yeah. be solution-based. Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I've told you that twice today. Exactly. Like, I don't know the answer, but I can get someone. You know, you yeah. want your next guest, I can get someone. <laughs> I can have all those answers for you. Or, or, I don't know the answer to that, and honestly, I'm not supposed to know the answer to that, right? Mm-hmm. What's in your community's best interest is that answer needs to be provided to you by an expert that you've retained. I'm here to help facilitate that relationship mm-hmm. and make sure that you guys have that open line of communication, right, to be that conductor, but... I, as a manager, am not doing your community or you as a board any service by pretending like I know everything or that I have a lot. That's a problem, too. There's some managers that they act like they know everything and, oh, yeah, I got it. It's good. And then you see, like, it crumble. Yeah. We get that a lot of times, too. Sometimes a manager will step in and be like, oh, my gosh, do you? I spoke at a turn. I did this thing. I was just kind of going through it. Now the client's in a bad position and I'm in a bad position. You're helping. We do what we can. But, you know, sometimes, especially newer managers, I mean, those mistakes are going to happen. Don't beat yourself up about it, but learn from them. Understand that, listen, there's, you know, everybody's got a job to fill. And by you pretending like you're, you know, the champion of everything, you know, like I'm not a litigator, for example, right? I don't do any litigation work whatsoever. If I have a client coming to me, hey, Steve, we're going to do this. What I tell them is that I'm not going to do it. One of our rock star litigators is going to do it, right? Because I don't do that work. That's not my scope. That's not what you're here for. But what I will do is provide you with the best possible person I can that specializes in that, and they'll be able to do that. And I think there's a um, there's a lesson that managers can learn from that, right? That's what your that's what your role is supposed to be. Yes. I often joke sometimes. Um, you know, clients they say, "Oh, the board member, we don't know, and we're afraid to face the community because we don't know all the particular things." We're doing a town hall meeting. Listen, if I'm a homeowner, the last thing I want is a board president that gets up there and says, I know everything about everything and don't worry, I have it all under control because you know that's not the case. And why is this person pretending, right? Instead, come to them, approach it from a standpoint of humility. Listen, there's things that we know, we have a good grasp on, there's things that are technical and we don't. So what we've done is brought the people who are in the best position to to do that. And I think managers can... um, can, can learn a lot from approaching the client that way, at least in my experience. The client you know, generates some respect on their end and say, okay, I understand it. Thank you for being candid with me. Right? Like what you hear so far? Make sure to subscribe to the Tinley Talks podcast at TinleyLaw.com and never miss an episode. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, and I think one thing that you hit on um, before we even started, Colette, was the type of manager that an association 
might want. Um, and there's a business partner friend of mine who long time ago said, you know, I find that there are two types of managers. And he said, there's the executive assistant type manager who goes to the board meeting and takes notes and takes the minutes and doesn't really say anything. And then there's that COO type manager that is that partner with the board, as you mentioned earlier, who is participating in the meeting, who's giving guidance, who's making recommendations. And when we talk about full service management, we talk about setting expectations. I think that's one of those things that has to be discussed at that contract negotiation, because sometimes you find a very intelligent, very astute board that is perfectly content with that executive assistant. And you have those other boards that they need that COO and they got the assistant and, and it's just, it's not a right fit. So, you know, again, going back to talking about, talking about expectations and, and roles and the negotiation process, I think that's something that boards have to be very vocal about when they're looking for a management yeah. company. What type of manager are they looking yeah. for? How active is your board in managing this association? Are you not very active and you want a manager that's going to take on more of it? Or are you very active and you want a manager that's more of a taskmaster, kind mm-hmm. of an assistant type, type of role? Well, let me flip it this way. So let's say you've got a community that says that reaches out to your company. Hey, for service, we would like you to uh, you know provide us with a proposal for full service management for our association. What are the questions that you ask them? I feel like they need to reflect on what is their true, like what are their wants? Do you want someone that's going to go on your property walk and point out every flaw and create an action plan? to like make your community the best community or are you very frugal and if they see that something's chipped if the building's not falling down we're going to keep it like that and move on you know Mm -hmm. like there's so many different types of personalities within boards and I think you could probably attest to this that you need to have like your goals and like your wish list Mm -hmm. um, because not every management company can provide the same level of service that first service can with like having the manpower to do like extra things because we have such broad resources versus like the mom and pop where if a homeowner calls they have the time to you know be on the phone with them for 15 20 minutes listening about the dog when they're just trying to pay their bill like you know and that's and that's fine because different communities are going to require a different level of service and you mentioned it earlier i think that boards need to have a certain level of self-reflection before they start this process because i think sometimes they come into this this is you know i don't mean this to sound derogatory but they come in kind of on their best behavior oh yeah and and not always being um, transparent. Yeah, not not always vocalizing the needs of the community. And you could have a thirty unit community that requires an extensive number of hours each month because of you know how much deferred maintenance and how much is in your reserves and the type of homeowners that are in your community mm-hmm. and you know and just the location of your community versus you know you could have a 300 unit association that requires very little attention, right? And I think that it's not it's not always about you called it Rolls Royce and and Pinto. I like your Disneyland better though. I know I always say I say Disneyland and Walmart. It's a Disney, yeah. uh, you know. Now it's Disneyland and then like Scandia. <laughs> 
But, you know, it's, it's, there, there is that budgetary issue, but I also find that you have to, as a board, you have to be honest in terms of how much time your association is actually going to require each month. And it's not just a two-hour board meeting and two walkthroughs per month. It's how many phone calls do you expect your homeowners to make and how much deferred maintenance is on the community and how much time are we going to actually have to spend dealing with vendors and water leaks and roof leaks and you know and and all of those issues so it's you have to be honest about that you have to be upfront about that in the beginning and sometimes I think that boards can be in denial and Steve you talk about this a lot about associations that are proud of themselves for not raising their assessments for years or decades. the worst thing ever. Yeah. You know and they do the same thing I think with with management agreements and they say yeah you know we've changed management every couple of years because we've kept our budget down so that we could keep our assessments low. Jeez Louise. And they're not really recognizing the number of hours that's going into that management each month. Yeah, I guess that's an interesting uh, way of thinking about it, too, because, you know, with this program, I think, you know, the board members out there probably, you know, gain the most from this information. You're switching a management company, not necessarily why, but what do you hope to achieve mm-hmm. with the new management company, right? What is it? Better service. Well, what does that mean, right? Does it mean more available service? Does it mean a broader service offering? Uh, doesn't mean somebody who's more dedicated to you that you'll be able to have more meetings each month. Like, what is the ultimate objective that you're that you're trying to attain, right? In switching management companies. I've experienced that last year during COVID, we transitioned um, a community, and I got it. And they said it would be easy. It was relatively easy, and I was just doing my job, you know, answering emails, answering phone calls, and the number one thing people told me I could still go to that community today and they're like oh my god Colette you are so amazing and I'm like why they're like you answered the phone you called me back yeah Mm -hmm. and it's just those little like service things like it sounds silly but returning phone calls answering emails like if you don't have the answer communicating that to them you know Um, I think a lot of people or board members they want to transition because they're not getting their way or something went wrong and so, like, really dig deep and say, like, what is truly the problem? Your manager is advising you not to do something that you shouldn't be doing. And so, you know, you're having a little temper tantrum and you want to switch management companies. Or are they really lacking that service? But are you still giving, you know, the executives of that management company the feedback? Like, hey, we have this manager and they're not answering emails. They're not answering phone calls. Are you giving them the opportunity to fix it? Because switching management companies is so stressful. It's stressful for the homeowners. It's stressful for the managers. All the back-end work that has to happen when you are like transferring information, it's a learning curve. And a lot of times, the people that are affected the most, I think, are the homeowners. And so I believe, you know, as a board of directors, you're supposed to care about the community and all the homeowners in the association. So instead of being so quick to jump ship, Like, try to find that solution. Sometimes, you know, honestly, there's some companies out there, you know, we don't know how they're still in business because they don't answer the phone calls and they don't answer the emails. Um, I've experienced it personally. When you're looking for the new company, just really see what their core values are, what they stand for, their integrity. You know, that's a lot nowadays with all the fraud that's going on. And just making sure, like, it fits your community and what your expectations are. Because, yes, there's someone that has all the bells and whistles. They can get you a fancy website. You know, they have really fancy business cards. 
But if they're not going to do like their basic job duty, like what does that do to you? Mm-hmm. You know? Are they actually going to be able to deliver on the mm-hmm. on the promises they made during the fancy uh, presentation and pitch meeting? Right? My favorite ones is when I hear that we didn't get it, and then they come back like the next year, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, it didn't work out for you. Shucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or they leave. They they mm-hmm. leave and then they come back a couple years later because you know yeah they found another management company for a lower monthly fee, mm-hmm. but they got what they paid for as well. So sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. How often does first service go over the management contracts with the boards? Because I know for us on the legal side, we try to encourage a board member orientation with each annual meeting because you have new new homeowners who are getting on the board who don't know Davis Sterling, who don't know their governing documents. And so we try to give them kind of a legal 101. My personal opinion, you know, I think it would be beneficial for the new board members to know the management agreement as well. I think sometimes you get new homeowners on the board and they don't know what the manager is supposed to do. They don't know what the expectation is, you know, what you can approve on your own, what you can't, how often you should be on site and so forth. They have absolutely no clue. And sometimes you see these contracts that are five years, six years old and new board has never seen it. I don't know if that's done on the regular. In my experience, my boards have all been on the board for like 10 plus years, Mm -hmm. most of them. And then we educate the new ones, you know, as it comes on with your board member orientation. Use that quite frequently. Um, (laughs) It's great, by the way. I think a lot of management companies, and I'm not speaking for first service, but just in general, I think they're scared of that because, you know, contracts are very black and white. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you do things outside your contract and you kind of been getting away with it. Like you said before, managers not billing on items that they should be. And it's scary for any third party vendor to go in and present their contract to a board of directors because that gives them the opportunity to tear it apart, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's, I don't think it's like they're hiding it. I mean, at my level, that's not like a conversation that I had. Right. It was more of like a regional director. If someone had a concern, then they would reach out and speak to them directly on it. That was above my pay grade, <laughs> so to say. But I think it is beneficial because, you know, you do it with your landscape maintenance. You do it with every other vendor. So you should do it with your management company. But in my experience, I never had the need to because I just built great relationships with them. Yeah, you know, and, and they I, felt secure. Yeah, and that's that's awesome and and I wish more more managers and boards did that. You know, and my last management company that I was at, um, I had most of my clients for about 5 years, but some of the other management companies that I was at, it you're right, portfolio was a revolving door. I stayed, but you know, my clients were rotating because a, a lot of management companies they're they're doing a mix of they want a portfolio manager to have a mix of condominiums and plan developments, a mix of monthly, bi-monthly, quarterly meetings so that nobody is overwhelmed and managers move around, which means portfolios move around. And then suddenly you have a manager with all condominiums. And so you have to shuffle that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could constantly be changing your portfolio just because of the makeup of the organization. I find that that boards to back to your point, Colette, you know, portfolio management is a revolving door and that's one of the complaints that we hear a lot from our clients is we've had six managers 
in the last year and a half or in the last two years. Um, and I think it goes back to a finding that right fit between manager and boards. Managers have to get along with 30 different board members, right? Because you have a five member board and you have a portfolio and they all have different personalities. Mm-hmm. And then trying to have that unicorn mix of a portfolio so that you don't burn that manager out. And so that means that you're going to be moving around a lot. And I think for boards that that's very frustrating. As soon as they find somebody who is trained on their association, who works with them the way that they would like somebody to work with them, that person moves on and it can be frustrating. Mm -hmm. Um, They just need to be nice to that manager then. (laughs) I told my board members that, like, you guys are great. You treat me with respect, but I have three other clients that, you know, they tear my head off every day and they're like, why? Like, I don't understand. And I'm like, I don't either. It's just their personality. So if you, you know, you have a manager you like, just be nice to them. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it goes a long way. Maybe they'll stick around. Yeah, Hopefully we, we hear around. that too. We hear, you know, I think we have a manager. We really like our manager. We really like our management company, but we think that our manager is overloaded. And we mm-hmm. haven't been able, and we haven't been able to resolve that situation. And it might not be that... The management company might have every intention to resolve that situation and may not have the capacity to do so in this moment. Exactly. And if that's the case, I would hope that, you know, whoever the supervisor or, you know, the executive team of the management company just present that honestly to the client, right? I always get concerned when people are wanting to hide the ball rather than just, you know, coming out with what the information um, is. So, yeah, I mean, you know, board members that are out there that have either like their manager have concerns or don't like their manager and have concerns... Uh, it's certainly worth it. And I think you made a you know a really strong point. We were talking about just from the perspective of what is the experience going to be for your membership if you just change management companies, right? It's an incredibly disruptive thing. So it's worth the time to say approaching the company. Hey, these are the challenges that we're having. These are the concerns. Can we get a meeting? Let's help us out. If our expectations are incorrect, we need to understand that. If our expectations are correct and you're not performing, we need to understand what you're going to do about it. Because, um, you know, we want to try to salvage this relationship because it's difficult to kind of unplug a management company and plug uh, a new one in. Um, I had a client last year, you know, it was through the, uh, through the COVID situation, and um, they had an old management contract allow them to terminate at any time with 30 days notice. And they wanted to give them the term notice. It was like after Thanksgiving. I said, okay, so wait a second. You want a 30-day management transition during the holidays Listen, legally, yeah, you might have the ability to do that, but understanding practically, is that the best decision to make for your membership? What's your membership's experience going to be? Don't you owe it to your membership to say, hey, maybe we can have a least disruptive path by salvaging this relationship, and you can't do that if you know, you're a board member and you're afraid to talk about the concerns. You just want to go you know, through the back door and say, hey, let's just find a new management company, right? Sometimes that's not the best the best situation. So as a management company, as a manager, what do you expect from from a client, from the board? I expect respect, first of all. It's hard in business sometimes when you pay for a service, you think you're entitled to the world. And, you know, you are, but I'm still a human. So treat me with the respect that I give you. I think that's like the first thing. And then open communication. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not a mind reader. I'm really good at reading vibes, but I can't read your mind. So if something is wrong, you need to express that, again, in a respectful manner. And three, just understand, again, that we're human, and so things take time. So be understanding that everything can't happen immediately. 
And I think you guys probably know this too. Like someone wants to start a project, they need a contract drafted. It takes time to go through things and make sure that it's done the right way. So um, just to have patience and know that we are working together as a partnership and all your tasks will get done. But sometimes you can't do three major capital projects at one time. It's going to take time. We need to plan this out so it can be done right the first time Mm -hmm. and not make mistakes. So respect, communication, and then maybe compassion, understanding. Yeah. 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 We're humans. You know, patience. Yeah. Yeah, I think... um you know, board members don't get paid. We talk mm-hmm. about that a lot. You know, they're volunteers. It's a thankless job. They don't get paid. For managers, it's a thankless job. But we do get paid. Not and- enough. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that sometimes there's this this justification that, well, you know, I'm paying the service. I'm paying for this fee. And I think that we have to remember that, you know, managers are professionals and that this is their job. This is their eight to five um, on a board meeting night, it could be an eight to ten. You know, so not. you know, so just recognize that this is this is their this is their day job, and that they have families to go home to, and their evenings need to be their evenings, and their weekends need to be their weekends. And you know, yeah, we have an emergency on call service, mm-hmm. um, but that's what it's for. It's for emergencies, and so just try to be kind to the manager. Try to be respectful. Thank them for their time and their service. And if there is an issue, because you know what? They're human. They're going to have issues. Things are going to come up. Talk to the manager about it. And if it doesn't get resolved, then, again, there's a team behind them. You know? And if you need a new manager, if you need a manager change, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-mm, not at all. Yeah. Well, Colette, you just you just got your CMCA certification. I did. Certified Manager of Community Associations. CAI. Fancy title. I know, right? You're official now. I'm officially official. (laughs) (laughs) Some management companies are involved with CAI and CACM. Mm -hmm. Others are not. Mm -hmm. Some promote certifications. Others don't. From a management perspective and somebody who just got her certification, if you were advising boards, you know, how, how important is that? Should they be looking for someone with alphabet soup or do you think that's based on the, the type and size of community? What do you think about that? Based on the type and size. So if you are an association that basically runs yourself, you know, you just manage like a slope, some mailboxes, that's it. You have a quarterly meeting. You don't need someone with alphabet soup. You could go to that small management company that just, you know, does your billing. Mm -hmm. But if you are project heavy or, you know, you have like you're against like a fuel mod and you have fire issues having someone with that experience and the network that it provides being part of CAI I think is great because you have so many resources available to you so you have the education you also have the networking with other experts and then you also have the continued education with like the symposiums and the luncheons and, and yeah. all that, right? Yeah. Because if you have a certification, you have to get continued education yes. credits to maintain those certifications. So they're always up on new things. And I like what you said about networking because I don't care how long you've been in this industry, something is going to come up that you've never had to deal with mm-hmm. before. It just happened to Steve today. Yeah. So. You know, having that network, having someone that you can call to help you out is very beneficial. One of the things that I like about this industry is that it's friendly competition. Mm-hmm. So even though, you know, we're two different management companies, I can call you and I say, hey, Colette, you know, I have this project. I've never had to deal with it before. Do you know of anybody? Right. I mean, we all help each other out. And I think that's that's that CAI and CACM network is 
not necessarily that these vendors are vetted by the trade organizations per se, but we get to know them and we get to know our colleagues and we have resources. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also great for board members too, for them to interact as well. They can go to the luncheons, they can get the newsletters, and they can also take the education courses too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that helps them become well-rounded because a lot of the times, like we were saying before, you just see like, oh, I need a task done, but you don't know all the back work that goes into it to like get the task done. Mm-hmm. So I think being exposed as well to the industry and to you know other board members and interacting with them will help develop them to be you know good leaders of their communities. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I always like, you know, a certified manager. I mean, to me, at least it shows that, okay, this, this individual is taking this, their career seriously, mm-hmm. right? They're going to invest to do this. I mean, you, you could be a fantastic manager of managed associations for decades, but if you never got your certification, the, kind of the question is, okay, well, why not? Why, why not? You know, why not take that, um, take that extra step? And then obviously, you know, participating in all these things and building your network is great. I mean, we as attorneys, I mean, we're blessed to be in this industry. We're all friendly with each other because uh, you never know. You might end up working together. We've mm-hmm. got several attorneys in our firm now that were at competing law firms, you know, at one point. So it's nice. And I'm sure it's the same thing management companies. Right? It well, really is. Yeah. You joke around. You don't like this one person. You switch companies and they're like right there. It's happened to me before we had a client say, oh gosh, we left that management company because our manager was so awful. We went to this new management company and then within six months, the manager from the old company is actually assigned to their account mm-hmm. for the new company. I mean, you never, you never know. And a lot of board members, they don't, you know, they don't understand that. And I don't know for what it's worth. Maybe we need to rack our brains to kind of give them a, a bigger, uh, a bigger peek behind the industry uh, as a whole because it's community management, it's not property management. Mm-hmm. Right? These aren't rental properties, it's not property management, it's a, it's a totally different ball game. And I think a lot of board members don't really understand the nuances uh, of that, uh, nor do community managers when they first enter this field, right? That, that have an experience in property management, they don't understand what is community management like, what is this industry like. It's a um, wild you know, ride. <laughs> it, it absolutely is, especially through the, uh, through the COVID period. I don't think I'll ever leave though. No, I know I won't. It's one of those things that most of us fall into it. Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody who chose this as a career, but I think everybody that I know fell into it and they never left. It's fun. It's yeah, it's a, you know, it's a challenge. If you like challenges, you're going to you're going to have a new challenge every day. Yeah, and comedy. Yeah. You know, some cocktail party stories of crazy homeowners or crazy board members, right? Sometimes <laughs> those are always fun to share. You'll never be bored. Today's episode is brought to you by Altera Assessment Recovery. Altera provides comprehensive attorney-supervised assessment collection services to community associations throughout California. Trust us with your collection needs. We'll get the job done, done right, and as quickly and efficiently as possible. Altera Assessment Recovery. We're the collection team you've been looking for. Steve, as a, an attorney representing our HOA clients, you know, when do they need to get legal counsel involved? Because some of our clients pick up the phone and say, hey, we're thinking about changing management. And some call us after they've already done the interview and they're ready to sign the contract or they signed it and then they decided, oh, we should have legal review it. I mean, from your standpoint, when is the ideal time to call and get us involved? Well, I mean, on, on the theme of partnership, a lot of times as attorneys, you know, we're, we're more and more treated like commodity products, right? We're yeah. kind of kept at, at arm's length and we're there at, on a transactional thing. Oh, we, we have to call the attorney for this rather than understanding. No, we've got relationships. I mean, we've been in this industry for decades. We've got relationships with everybody and, 
if you're having an issue with your management, you know, as counselors, right, that's what we're here is to provide counsel to your association. I mean, I can give you the technicalities of how your contract operates, but big picture, what are the issues, right? What, what's your goal? Our goal is to, you know, we're having these constant issues with management or really like, you know, to have this type of a service offering or our account manager. Okay, well, let's talk about that because, you know, we, you know, might have direct lines of communications with the senior management team at the company. And maybe there's, you know, a, something that's gone haywire that's a quick fix. Or maybe you just need an account manager change. Or maybe it's just, hey, why don't you, brand new board, they have no idea what's going on. I think it's good for you guys to talk with them to have an understanding about what the contract entails and what it doesn't entail. I mean, I don't, I, I wouldn't be hesitant um, to have that conversation. So to answer your question, Ramona, I mean, if there's an issue with any vendor, right, we'd love to be part of the process in order to be able to give them uh, guidance. If the relationship, you know, can't be salvaged and, you know, you're enter- entertaining, you know, potential management companies, once you find the one that's a good fit, you know, at that point, yeah, we'll review the contract and, you know, some clients think, okay, review the contract, let us know, you know, what do you think about the price? We don't review price and payment terms. We don't review what's in your Schedule A, you know, additional services, things along those lines because we think it's just, you know, it's... It's not something that we have the expertise, Not that's not really our job either. We look to provisions in the contract to protect our client, which is this, the association, in the event that something goes wrong with the relationship, right? If you need to get out of the contract, how do we do that, right? Are you properly uh, insured and protected and indemnified in case something goes sideways? That's the type of stuff uh, that we look at. We don't negotiate price or specific terms or things like that, nor do I think it's appropriate for counsel necessarily to do that. So um, to answer your question, Ramona, yeah, if there's an issue with the relationship, give us a heads up. We might be able to fix it for you pretty quickly. If not, and you decide to move on to a management company before you sign that contract, let us take a look at it. A lot of times we see clients that just sign contracts without us seeing it, and then we find out that, uh-oh, you know, you're stuck with these unfortunate provisions, and, and they're going to burn you one way or another. But um. Well, and I like the ones that, that call us and say, um, you know, I'm not, ready, I'm not ready for your involvement yet, but can you give us some recommendations? Can you give us some referrals? You know, go into your legal counsel, go into your landscaper, because they think sometimes our boards are... There's so many management companies out there and they're Googling it and you're getting, you know, this plethora of of different management companies and you're looking at your websites and, you know, you might be involved with CAI, you might be familiar with some of them. Most of our boards are not. So how are you whittling down that list and how are you figuring out which is going to be the right fit for you without doing 100 interviews? So you're a board, you have a bunch of vendors that you're working with, call them up. These are, these are the issues that we're having. This is the kind of management company that we're looking for. Do you have any recommendations for me? Because we all work with all the management companies that are out there. I'm happy to give you a referral. Right? Yeah. And we're motivated by just whoever performs. Mm-hmm. I mean, for us, it's not, you know, it doesn't matter. Just I know that, okay, if I give a client three names, contact one, those people are not going to waste the client's time. And two, okay, if you do get selected you're not going to make me look bad mm-hmm. because you're actually going to be able to perform. I mean, really, that's my only motivation, which is why I try to call, okay, what are your issues? Let me help understand what's going on because yeah, I'm motivated to make sure that whatever the solution is, it actually works. So if we refer a management company that doesn't end up working out, then, oh my gosh, why did why did that happen, right? We want to be, uh, we want to be able to, uh, to avoid that. But yeah, I mean, board members out there are thinking about it. Yeah, you've got, you know, all these different vendors that you work with. We all know each other in the industry. I mean, it never hurts to say, hey, you give us some referrals. What, what's the situation? One time I had a board member call up. Oh man, we we called the uh, we looked online at the three companies that you gave us, but all of them had really terrible Yelp reviews. Of course they did. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, find one 
that has great Yelp reviews, uh, let me know about it. Because who's reviewing them? Yeah, people are upset about it. We laugh all the time because sometimes we'll have a client say, what's up with your Yelp reviews? And there are homeowners that we've actually had to sue, right, that have going on there and reviewing our law firm, calling us crooks and, you know, and, and cheats and all that good stuff. So a lot of times, too, board members don't understand that. Well, why would we contact that company? They're fan- You're saying they're fantastic, but they've got a one-star rating. Well, you know. At least they got one star. They're <laughs> <laughs> there at that point, right? They got that one star. So, um, yeah, uh, definitely reach out and understand. There's a broader context. This isn't property management. It's community management. You have to know uh, the bigger picture before you start diving in. Awesome. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you for listening. We'd also like to thank Colette Marcel for your time and expertise. Make sure to visit our website at tinleylaw.com if you haven't already, where we break down this episode and then stay tuned for our next one. To share or subscribe to the Tinley Talks podcast, visit us at tinleylaw.com. There you can find links to everything discussed in this episode, locate helpful resources, check out other episodes, and submit questions for future topics. And be sure to tune in next month for our next episode. As always, the views and opinions expressed by the podcast, its presenters and guests do not constitute legal advice. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast, please consult with your association's legal counsel. This is Tinnelly Talks presented by Tinnelly Law Group. Your community, your counsel.